Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, it's my great pleasure to host my very first parenting teacher and mentor, Harry Grebler. Harry's parent-infant class, uh, there's no other way to say it, changed my life, gave me a whole new way of seeing, brand new direction that eventually led me to train with Magda Gerber and find my passion in life, which is sharing this approach that's made parenting so much richer and enjoyable than I could have ever imagined. Harry, spelled H-A-R-I, studied with Magda many years before I did, and she still shares her wisdom and her encouragement about listening to and trusting our babies in her parent-infant classes. But recently, she began sharing more online, on Facebook and on her Instagram page, Harry's Rye Studio, H-A-R-I-S-R-I-E Studio. For those who haven't heard me mention this, Rye RIE stands for Resources for Infant Educators, which is the nonprofit educational organization Magda Gerber founded in 1978. I've asked Harry to share with us today about a core element of Magda's approach developing safe play spaces for our babies and toddlers that help us to encourage their play beginning as early as possible. You've heard me refer to these as yes spaces. And first, we're going to discuss why nurturing play, beginning even at birth, matters to our children and to us. No one understands and can explain this better than Harry. Hi, Harry. Hi, Janet. This is such a treat getting to speak with you. As I introduced you, you didn't hear that part, but you were my introduction to my passion in life and... So actually, I can't imagine why it's taken me so long to have you on the podcast because, wow, you are such a wealth of information and inspiration to me, to so many people that you've mentored, and thank you. I want to start by saying that. And I love the work that you're doing 
on your, uh, I guess, your Instagram page, which really stands out to me. I mean, it's interesting, like you don't have a lot of followers yet, but you are the one that's out there saying really important, unique things. And I don't find that on a lot of the biggest pages. There's a sameness. And you are coming in very boldly with this perspective that I think is much needed. So I want to encourage everybody to follow you and just thank you. I have loved the content that you're putting out there and the ideas that you're sharing. Thank you so much. That's really sweet. Um, I, th I wanted to say when you were saying that about being bold, I mean, look who our teacher was. Magda Gerber. So she was yeah. very bold. And she was. She said what she thought and, and we were we could say what we thought as well. Right. And, and she was know, kind. She wasn't she was. She wasn't she trying was. to be bold, but she just was because she was fearless. And she really believed, you know, she was the ultimate baby defender. Yes. My friends call me that sometimes. They're like, uh-oh, watch out. Here comes the baby defender. <laughs> <laughs> Probably happens to you too. Yeah, but you don't do it defensively. You know, you do it with such love for babies and care for the people that are taking care of them. So uh, just like with Magda, it's not that you're trying to be controversial or abrasive. You're just saying these truths that people don't understand and that will make our lives so much easier as parents when we do understand and embrace some of this perspective. So what I want to talk to you about today is creating a safe space for our children to play in safely and freely without interruption, if possible, and the benefits of it and how we start this from the time that children are just a few weeks old, that we start creating this space and cultivating this time for them. Do you want to talk about some of the reasons it's important? I want to say this. When I had my first child, I noticed how much that he played from the very beginning, like in the hospital. And I remember saying that to a friend and a mom, and she said, God, I never thought to put them down. I wouldn't have even known if they wanted to play because I never put them down. I didn't know I could. And how did you recognize this? Did This was before you were introduced to Magda? No. Yeah, you know, yeah, I talked for I years think, and yes, years yes, and yes. years before I had my own That's children. right. I forgot that you taught long before you had your own children. Because if we don't know that's possible, how are we going to notice it, right? We're not. I, I didn't notice it until I started taking your class and then, you know, working with Magda and realizing, well, actually, I realized the very first time I went to your class with my baby, who was three months, that, wow, there is so much going on there that I wasn't giving any space to or allowing to happen with my daughter, with her thoughts, with her interests, her deciding what activities she wanted to do, which were just basically lying there and looking around on her back. But, you know, how we don't know that, right? I mean, I, I learned and studied. And I think when people come to my class, I just have to remind them that there's no way they could have known this because it is so counterculture. What Magda did and what Dr. Pickler did is just really goes against the grain. So no one should feel like, oh, I should have known that. Oh, why didn't I see that? Oh, a good mom does this. It's not true. 
And I feel like what's great about our classes is that we talk about not moving into automatic, right? Not just doing what they're doing and what was done to us and what we see everybody do with babies. That's what people do. We just kind of do what, you know, what we see everybody else doing. So I think Rye really helps you step back and uh, notice. And how do you notice? Creating the safe space from the start is what helps you notice. And also having the permission to put your baby down in a safe, cozy place, you know, and there's a progression. We don't put an infant on the floor to play. There's a progression to that. First, a cozy bassinet where they could play, right? And then they can move to a crib when they get too big for them. And then after the crib, you know, that's going to be around three and four months, and they can move to the floor to a safe space that you create. It starts right from the beginning that we have to start a rhythm. And that's the other thing, like babies that have grown up this way have this inner life. They discover what they love. They discover themselves. They discover their bodies, like their hand. What can I do with it? And that's a really big deal, I think. And I, I never can explain in my classes how my kids have always, like how they wake up and go play and I'm still asleep. And people are sort of think I'm just lucky, but I'm not. I, I worked hard at that. Yes. And, and you probably had that too. And to this day, my kids are teenagers. They want their time by themselves in the mornings, you know, or whenever, you know, the oldest one wants it all the time. <laughs> and it's such a strength to have that capacity for being with yourself, you know, tuning in to who you are. Interestingly, I'm also reading a book by Sherry Turkle called Reclaiming Conversation. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's about technology and how that's affected children growing up with empathy. And the part that I'm reading is all about nurturing our children's capacity for solitude. She says, this is one of the most important tasks of childhood. Every childhood is the capacity for solitude that allows you to reach out to others and see them as separate and independent. You don't need them to be anything other than who they are. This means you can listen to them and hear what they have to say. This makes the capacity for solitude essential to the development of empathy. So I really thought that was interesting. Um, I love that. Yeah. I want to read that. It's, it's, it's really worthwhile so far. And this is only like the first section. Um, solitude is where we learn to trust our imaginations, she says. When we let our minds wander, we set our brains free. And interestingly, also... She said, today, young people become anxious if they're alone without a device. They're likely to say they're bored. From the youngest ages, they've been diverted by structured play and the shiny objects of digital culture. So there's that element to, to what she's sharing. Um, yeah, the bored part. I take issue with all these posts about boredom. So many of them show like, like a field or a lake, you know, like, why don't we just let kids be bored? But we've created it. The adults are annoyed by it, right? But we've totally created it. It's just like giving, the, giving a kid a pacifier and then deciding, at, well, you, now you don't have it anymore and I just take it away. Right. And I don't consider your, your emotional state, let's say. Right. And the dependency. Yeah. The boredom thing is all about this. And then it also is about devices later. But before that even, it starts so early where they don't have a safe space. 
the child's always getting interrupted, let's say. No, you can't do that. And no, you can't do that. They have to move them away. So they can't really get involved. It's hard. Right. Or let me stimulate you like I thought I was supposed to do with my baby. I, you know, because again, we don't know that they can do anything on their own. We right. don't know they're capable of anything. Right. And the stimulation is either talking to them constantly or showing them things or going places and even going places to activities from really early ages. Like sometimes people call me and I'm like, I used to have this question on one of my forms a long time ago. And it asked them, do you take any other classes? And like some of them, the eight months old, were like in five classes. I, and I just said, could you wait and take my class when you don't have so many classes? So kids don't, they don't have a chance to play free and safely. And they have a lot of activities. And then one day they wake up and they're saying, what are we doing today? And it annoys everybody. I'm bored. I'm bored because they've gone to all these classes that have activities, not just gone and played outside or gone to the park to play, right? But right. they've gone places where there's everything there, you know, and like you said, stimulation. And they're just reacting and responding to it instead of creating it. Yeah. It's like not fair to the kid. And also, there's a lot of kids that don't have a yard. A lot of kids can't go outside and all that. And I think that's another reason why it's crucial to set up a really great space for them to have for themselves, you know, some kind of playroom or play space, if you have the space. Absolutely. And something interesting about this, too, is this idea of, you know, tuning into yourself and being with yourself and comfort with yourself. Studies show, and Magda knew this a long time ago, that it's nurtured by not just leaving your child alone. It's not about being alone. Solitude could be with people, but it's being allowed to be in yourself and your own thoughts and, and that it's actually nurtured through this relationship of, you know, just what Magda said, the wants nothing quality time where I'm with you in your play space and I'm just observing, learning all this stuff about you and discovering you. And you're knowing that you can flex your imagination and be yourself completely with not losing my attention, with not losing me, you know, my presence. And that's actually how you nurture it. And that's how it's different than loneliness. Healthy solitude is uh, a feeling of joy. And the, the adult witnessing their babies playing independently can bring so much joy to the adult. And the knowledge of what their child likes, how long they play, you know, are they tired? The other thing is you're going to know their cry. You're going to know what that means. And a lot of parents that I talk to, they don't know that. And I feel like one of the ways to get to know your baby is exactly what we're talking about, is creating this space and where we, we coexist in that space or beside or close by or we have things to do. And sometimes we're there really just focused on them. But sometimes we're just in that same area, let's say. I mean, I remember as a parent, I, I'm doing some things. Sometimes I will bring laundry in. Sometimes I would, you know, yeah. I was also getting things done. And there were times where I was just sitting. But the simplicity of it is that you get to see so many signs, like when are they tired? And you don't have to wait till they're yawning and rubbing their eyes. After a while, you, you actually really know that they're tired. 
they're playing, 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 and all of a sudden things aren't just going their way so perfectly, right? You know, because people are looking more for like that physical sign, a yawn, or like I said, rubbing the eyes, but it'll be more subtle. Did you experience that too? Yes, because I didn't like what you said about we don't understand their cries. That was totally me with Charlotte, my first baby that I brought to your class. That was another another area where I felt I am a terrible parent because I don't know what these cries are. All I know is that I want them to stop right now, immediately, and they're ear splitting and they're making me feel terrible. So it was very much my problem. Like her feelings were my problem to fix instead of really something that I could learn about her. And so it took actually a lot of time because she was my first. It took time in your classes and learning about Magda's work to be able to calm myself enough to start to see and discern. But it was helped along by being able to observe her with all these other subtle things she was doing in your class and see that she had thoughts, that she was nuanced, that she wasn't just this one note simplified being, that she had all these levels and different things going on with her that were fascinating. You know, so it's it's about seeing them as this full human being person that's not just a, a needy thing that we have to fix. And I like what you said. You say calm yourself, and I'm, I always say, like, get quiet inside. For me, automatically just being with the babies, I, I just empty out. I don't know. It's just a thing. It's always happened for me. I'm just right there, right present. I think that's partly why I do what I do. I think it's a practice, though, that you probably, because I do that too now. Yeah, but I did that. I was always like, just it just helped me. Well, before I started teaching, I taught nursery school. So I already had this experience with kids. And that's what I loved about it. I always felt very present because you know me personally. I'm like not that quiet. I'm not that calm. I'm pretty impatient. I'm pretty hot-headed, right? I guess <laughs> You're not a picture of Serene, no. No, and nor was Magda. It just wasn't like that. I mean, we are who we are, and that's fine. And, you know, my kids know me. They do. But when they're little babies, it's so important to set ourselves aside, to quiet ourselves down, and like you said, calm ourselves. It really is. Or we won't know anything about them otherwise. Right. And we'll get stuck doing a bunch of things that aren't helping. And Yeah. And, and, and nobody feels good. They're just going through the motions. I had a funny experience with my son. I noticed he would suck two fingers on one hand and then two fingers on the other hand. Same two fingers, but some right, some left. And one day he sucked, I don't know, it was either the right or the left. And I, I thought, oh, he's tired. And I I'm going to nurse him, you know, because he's going to go to sleep and he will he might get hungry. It's not really his nursing time, but I'm just going to do that. So I went into the bedroom, went to nurse him, and he moved off, pulled off, and put his other hands in his mouth and leaned back to go into the crib. Wow. Yeah. And then I, I you know, he went to bed and I called my mom and said, is that even possible? And he did that a lot. And it really taught me, it's like, I can't work on automatic I used to call him the all-knowing head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> because he can't move his limbs so much, but he could like go like, get me in the crib with his head. He did. It's so bizarre. 
Anyway. Wow. And that was something unique to him that your other. Oh yeah, she did not. Your do daughter that. didn't do the yeah, exact same. Yeah, she did same. other I mean, things. Yeah, they were totally yeah. night and day. But that, yeah. I got to, I got to witness that because of what I learned and how I could be in that moment and how he became more important at times in the day than me. Yeah, I would notice with um, my second that, you know, when you were saying they get tired in the play space, that's normal, and they start to, they start to whine a little, or you know, fuss and tell you that they're tired or they're just showing you those signs, those early signs, which hopefully we get, like they're kind of spacing out all of a sudden or whatever. But what Madeline would do was fall asleep <laughs> in the play space, you know, if I didn't catch it very, very early, especially if it was at my little outdoor play space that I had, she would fall asleep. And it just looked like so blissful to me, you know, oh, I wish I, it was like falling asleep on the beach when you're lying out, you know, having yeah. a good time and you just like fall asleep. And so I tried to take a movie of her going to sleep because she would do it also in her bassinet. She would turn her head sort of from side to side. She was not expressing any discomfort, but to my previous lens, it would have looked like I better put her to sleep now. She's turning her head and maybe that's not good for her or something. But she was calming herself. And I tried to get it on video. And every single time I tried, she would outlast the battery of the video <laughs> in how long she went. She would just keep going. And it was, again, it wasn't, she wasn't stressed out at all or showing anything like that. But it just would take her longer. And I finally thought, okay, this is too private a moment. You know, I'm not supposed to capture this. So forget it. I'm just not going to try <laughs> because she would always outlast me in her process. I love that because it's that's what they want to do. Yes. Enjoy their process. If we could just give them opportunities. And I feel like that gets so misconstrued out there. You know, I did an Instagram about it and I said, what if we did give them these little micro opportunities? to fall asleep when they were ready to play first, but not meaning that we have to let them cry or be alone. Right. You're opening up space for what they actually want to do. Yeah, um, what they can do. What, and can I give you one example of that? Yes, please. Because I honestly think that all of this has to do with the play space, you know, learning to observe and just allow our child to be who they yes, are exactly. and how that helps everything. It helps their sleep. It helps their learning for sure. It helps their imagination, helps them develop this, you know, sense of self and ability to be alone with themselves and all of those things. So this is just another thing. But yeah, tell the story. So when we came home with our baby, I thought to myself, wow, our baby, he's heard Shlomo and I talking all these nine months. They hear you. We we talk so much, and I and I thought let's put him in the bassinet, and we did. We put him in the bassinet, and then I invited Shlomo. Here's a chair, and I laid on the bed, and we just chatted. And within the chatting, he just sort of played, and then he got tired and fell asleep. And I didn't do it to make him sleep or to get him tired or anything like that. But I just thought we could just be together like this. He could be there. We could be here. He can hear us. And then I, I feel like from that moment, he loved to play with that around him, you know, like us talking or mm -hmm. um, people in the room, but not focused on him. I, I don't know if you remember falling asleep in the car and people are still talking when you're little. 
Oh, yes. No, I used to love that. I yeah. loved, or in the house, just relaxing and yeah, yeah. sleeping and you hear the yeah. voices and or my parents yeah. would be having a, a party gathering yeah. and you're kind of like, ah, you know, it's exactly. And-, and I call it a micro moment. There could be so many of those because it's a process. It's not like, oh, does your baby sleep through the night? No, you know, it's not that. It's discovering yes. what it is together and not alone. And being open, being open to your baby's abilities that they're showing you, not what you're trying to make them do. Yeah. I feel like so many things have gotten, they took the fun and the beauty out of them. You know, so sleep is a sound machine, a blackout curtain. It's at a certain time, a certain way, or it's being held or being wrapped or being even that, right? Even both extremes are still these automatics, right? Yes. To me. And all I'm asking is just give a little micro moment in between these things, right? And Magda didn't really talk about that, about that was something like I sort of discovered just about us talking and him being there and feeling comforted by our voices and our presence. But it doesn't also mean that I have to be holding him all the time for him to feel secure. Right. You know, hearing the sounds of the home is comforting. That's what I'm saying about taking the beauty out of sleep. Let's make it so quiet. Let's put the sound on. Let's make it so dark. Wrap them this way. Let's wrap them that way. Right. It's a totally adult-directed process that's just a chore. It's just another chore that we have to do in the day. And Yeah, it's... and they can watch me wash the dishes from their bed. They, they can yeah. hear us talking. They can hear a party or whatever it is. So anyway, that's just my little rant, my micro rant. Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker dealer. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Well, I wrote down here something that you said about observation. Well, first of all, I love this comment that you make. It's, I guess it's one of your central quotes that's very hairy, and I love it. Uh, Babies are worth getting to know. I love that. And then you say in another post, I think it is, to observe, clear your head, step into the present. What can my baby do? What does my baby want to do? Can I detach and sit simply? It is a practice that we all can learn. So I think we've talked 
a lot about the the beauty of the space, why it's so worth doing. What do we do? How do we make the space? Because you saw that post of the safe space, I got a question, a really good question. What to do with the baby before the play area? You know, at what age do we start this play space and what should they do before? Mm-hmm. And that's such a good question. Then I, I just wrote back, there's a progression of the play area. The first play area would be the bassinet because it's warm, it's cozy, it's inviting, and it like holds the baby. They can only last so long in a bassinet. And then I would move them to a crib with a firm mattress. The baby should never be like on a cushy kind of sunken in thing, although it looks nice, but no, they, it's, it's hard for them to move. So then it would be the crib. And then there could be a playpen or around three to four months when they start being interested kind of in the world and other objects. That's when I would have them come down to the floor. And the floor space evolves as their capabilities grow. The sort of a rule of thumb is they always need a bit more space than they might actually use. And we do that so they can be inspired inspired to move a little farther, inspired to go get that over there. And it's always better if a small space gets bigger than taking a big space and making it smaller for the baby, right? So if a child has already crawled all over the house, it's harder to then make a smaller space. Not impossible, but just more difficult. So that's the progression of the physical part of the space. And you can take a piece of your living room, a bedroom. I personally took my living room, dining room. We have a little, little house, but that was one room. And I was able to gate my kitchen. That's something real crucial in Rye, but a lot of people don't want to do it. Magda used to talk a lot about gating the kitchen. Well, why? Why would we gate the kitchen? Well, there's accidents that happen and but also so we can go and do something fully and focus on, right? So when we go in the kitchen, we can cook. We don't have to, oh, there's someone over here or rolling over here, or I'm worried about that. And I have to tell them what to do. And it's not like they can never come into the kitchen when you have time to show them around, you know? So I love the gated kitchen. I really think that helps. Um, The reason I did my dining room, living room, I wanted it to be like a family room, playroom kind of place where we gather. I could be on the couch and my children could be playing. And my room changed like more than 50 times. I mean, that's how much I'm about the kid. I'm not saying people should do this or everybody should. I'm saying this is what I did because I'm like a total nerd in that way. Like I really wanted to put all this into practice because I had you know, been doing it for so long. I wanted the space. I wanted them to be able to crawl and and do all the things that they did. And I wanted to watch and I wanted to be comfortable. So what if people aren't able to gate off their kitchen, which a lot of houses, unfortunately, that is difficult. I mean, I, I was able to gate off our kitchen and have it gated in space, but I had to have these bookcases, like very heavy, like, you know, stand up bookcases that I attached a gate to. And I had to form a space within this bigger space in my family room. 
probably you would know how to do all this better than I did, but it worked for us. And yeah, and like so interesting, like it remained the place way after the gates were gone and all that, that that remained the place where the child wanted to be playing or reading or whatever. They really bond with their, actually, I think it's bonding with themselves, but within the comfort and familiarity of those spaces. Yeah. I I mean, my kids love their room and I really let them do anything they wanted practically. I think what you did was perfect. And that's what I always say. If you could, if it's like a big space and you can create it like a little room within a room. Outside, we did it once with a gate to the couch. I didn't want them when they were really tiny to get into the small flower garden I had. So I had a couch and then I gated that from there. So there's so many creative ways to do it. But you agree, I'm sure, with Magda that establishing those parameters are important before the child's able to move through them because then that's just part of their play space. People say, oh, it's a jail and stuff. But it, it is if you treat it that way and like, okay, now I'm going to put you in this place while I go do something instead of this is part of our routine. Every day after we do this, this is time that you usually spend in there. I mean, it doesn't have to be every day, but most days. This is what we do. And as Magda said, a matter of course, it's just a matter of course. And you still might not like when I leave and go do something, but you know, you know underneath it that you're not being abandoned, that you're not being punished. This is your space and it's freedom for you actually. And then children do, I mean, I've seen that with my own eyes, that children totally believe that. Definitely. When I was in uh, Hungary, when I went to the Lhotse to visit when it was the orphanage, I had been... I had studied for, I think, about 10 years before I went there. And then I went there and studied. What I noticed was the way we learned about doing the caregiving and being fully present for the caregiving for babies, the more the same it is. This is how they don't get bored, how they really have that inner life and count on it. I have to say, even in the morning, if I get up and my daughter's up, she's just like, I need to be alone. (laughs) You know, if it's too early, she needs that thinking time that. And she's how old now? 13. She's not happy to see me. She's happy to see me other times. (laughs) But it's like in the morning, they're really used to having space in the morning. And why it is, is because we had a rhythm, a very, very strong rhythm. And that was you wake up, you care for them, you you know, change their diapers, maybe get them dressed, maybe not, feed them, nurse them. And then you've given them so much. And this is what I saw in Hungary, which is by the end of that caregiving, they don't want you to talk to them anymore. You know, those babies, like they'll look away, they'll put their fingers in their mouth, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, <laughs> I've got everything I need. And now I go to the floor to play. And then what I saw is when they pick up those toys, and I know you've seen it too, is they really see what they're looking at. They look at the object the way they were just looked at, if that makes sense. And it was beautiful. I was just so blown away by that. And understanding what it means to be filled up, to then be able and have the desire to do what you want to do. And um, I think I must have learned it in Waldorf, like this idea of breathing in and breathing out, the breathing in being the caregiving where you're asking them and telling them and, you know, expecting cooperation, right? And then it's this 
I go down to play. No one's talking to me. I can play with this or that and any way I want to. And no one's going to interrupt me. So there's a balance to what we're talking about. One cannot happen without the other. Independent play and wanting to be in your play space can't happen if you don't feel filled up. So, yes. And I was also thinking when you were saying that, as slow as we try to maybe aim to be with the caregiving time and talking to them and, you know, listening to them and having that be a mutual experience, when they get to play, time goes even slower. You know, when we're alone in our thoughts, that's when we can really slow down to our pace and commune with that. I mean, I crave that. I've started doing where I uh, don't go on my phone until after I've done this whole bunch of things in the morning where I'm just on my own in my thoughts. I'm kind of doing things and then I meditate. But I've put off just looking at my phone right away because I need more of that time with the work that I'm doing right now to get ideas, to have more space. I mean, I I really couldn't get enough of that personally, but, you know, it's really, I want to go to the phone. I want to go to the distraction like anybody else. Um, But I'm, I'm just doing that for myself to feel myself. I think that is exactly what happens when we create this space for the baby. We give it to ourselves. It's a gift as a parent that you give yourself. Here, I gave you everything during this time I was just with you. And now it's your time to do this and my time to, you know, do this. And when they can know and expect, because you do it the same every time, that's why I think that's so important. I mean, I don't want it to sound like, oh, I can't ever deviate, because of course you can, that's life. But when they're little, it pays for both, for the child and the adult. It's a gift for both. Oh, I can go into the kitchen by myself to make something, right? Yes. I can take a shower because I know they're completely safe and content. And sometimes people say, oh, they don't want to be in there anymore. They don't want to be in there anymore. You have to commit to this space. That's really important. You have to commit. And that means when they're needing you more, let's say, go be with them. Go be with them, but don't bring them out of the space. So that's the mistake people make. They don't want to be in there. I take you in my arms. I take you to the kitchen. I cook. I'm stirring. It's interesting. You like being up. And then when I put you back in your space, it's not as satisfying anymore. And even, you know, if we're in the space with them and they're kind of struggling and, you know, first maybe seeing just while I'm sitting here, I'm going to hold you in my lap instead of, okay, we're getting up every time there's something wrong. Now you're getting lifted up and or sat up. Yeah. Or and that's what a lot know. of people, they start getting fussy in their place. So, so they'll go, oh, they'll be. And when you do that, you sit them up, you can get maybe 15 more minutes of play, but usually they're just tired if they're used to this. That's what yeah. I was trying to say before. It gets, if you don't do all the things and you commit to this simplicity, it's sort of raw because it's just you and them, right? There's not a swing or a this or a that to fall back on in yes. a way. You can even lie down in their space. They can even yeah. crawl over you. Uh, oh, you know, I do that. On yeah. those times. Right. It's fun. You can get your little massage. You know, what you were saying about setting it up for ourselves, you know, it's maybe seemed like this is such a chore. Or I'm being so giving, having this connected caregiving time, but this is what's going to empower us, empower our child to be able to be separate. And then, yeah, when they're expressing things. I mean, this encouraged me to leave my fix-it mode (laughs) that I was with my first and 
I want to find out what they're expressing. I don't want to just try to change it. I want to know what's going on here. And that takes a little longer and, you know, takes us not making those rash moves to just pick them up and rescue them out of the situation or whatever. Yeah. And and when you really come down to it, there's not that many things that the baby could be bothered by. They could be hungry. They could be tired. And you're going to start to see what that tired means to your baby. Hungry, you'll think, oh, I fed them. And yeah, they probably are. Let's see. Or maybe they want their diaper changed. They're not comfortable. Or their clothes aren't comfortable even. Sometimes it's bunched up and that could bother them. Mm -hmm. So you can always check those things. And then things get more simple. Kids are able to eventually let you know what's bothering them. Because they know you want to know and they understand that's your interest because it is. Yeah, they're valued in that way. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they're just getting bored now. And no, I don't accept yeah. that. I just don't. That's an no. adult idea. Um, so then you do all these other things. And then that's the way we create them needing needing right. to be set. Because once you start sitting your baby up, they're not satisfied anymore laying down. Right. You know, It doesn't take that much to, for that to happen. Right. But just so people know, and I know you know this, you can change anything. If you're aware of what you've done and what it's caused and what's going on and you want to change it, like maybe you don't want to change it, that's fine. But if you want to, all you have to do is understand that they're going to express, hey, why aren't you doing that thing anymore? And they have a right to. And to try to welcome that. And I always like, I always admit or encourage the parent to admit, yeah, I was sitting you up and you're used to that. You're probably wishing I would do that right now. But, you know, I realize this is healthier for you. So you can tell me how much you wish I was doing that and how mad you are at me. That's okay with me. I always want to know how you feel. You know, that kind of attitude. I don't have to say all those words, but that welcoming and honesty about, yeah, <laughs> of course, not just, oh, shh, it's okay. I'm not doing this anymore. And now we're going to do this. Really owning it because otherwise they feel almost gaslit. Yeah, I want to add to that too. So if I was going to change a habit, and I do believe wherever you step into these ideas, you know, is a is the perfect place. Just like you said, you can change. It's not like a make it or break it situation. But if I did do something like sat them, and then I decided to not sit them because I learned, I would start out like that on the back, let's say. But if the baby got too upset, I would also not stay in that. I don't want them to get too upset at first. So, but I would always start like that. So the next time I would start again like that on the back, I would start again and again and again and leave a little bit more time and a little bit more time, right? While you're communicating with them and then like picking them up and holding in your lap and not just swooping them up. Yeah. All the things you said, I just want to add that I would do it little by little. So if I was going to change something about sleep, let's say, I would start out the way I would like it to go, but they were used to something else. Okay, we do that something else, but start out first the way I want it to go. Little by little, longer and longer for them to get used to it without them having to be too upset about it. Yeah. Because we, we did it, you know? It's just like, okay, yeah. you, I'm a cigarette smoker, let's say. I'm not, but let's say. And then somebody just like takes it from me. 
and they decide I'm never going to have one again. Right. And they decide how it's going to go. Like, it's no, like the boredom I, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you like, need to collaborate okay, with me a little bit. Yeah. Like I need a little collaboration, a plan, how this yes. is going to change. I can't just change on the spot because you who gave me, you know, the cigarettes in the first place are now going to take them away like that. No, yes, it's not fair. Yeah. I feel like it's more, and maybe this is what you're saying, but with sleep, especially, I feel like it's more being aware of where I want this to go. Because maybe in the beginning, it's just easier for me to do it this way. But I've always got my eye out. This is how I want sleep to go, because this is what I need and what, what we've decided for our family. And this is what I would like to, to happen. And so I'm going to keep being open to that direction, but not necessarily trying to even take a step there in the beginning if I'm not ready and I don't feel like my baby's ready. But it's, so it's not like I have to start doing incremental things, but just just knowing and being open to what my baby can do, you know, which that observation and the play space again teaches us. I also just wanted to comment, like you talked a long time ago, wonderfully about the physical thing of setting up the play space from the time that they're infants and how that starts in the bassinet. And I would say also just, you know, especially based on my own experience, you know, Charlotte, she first played in your amazing class that changed my life. My younger one's I had to be, again, open to them being able to do this, entertain themselves, and notice when it happened, like you said in the hospital with your boy, like I noticed it, I would notice in the bassinet one time, you know, I came and she was waking up and she wasn't looking towards me or anything. So I didn't say, hi, time to get up. She was looking to the side and I just let her look and was careful not to say anything because I was holding space for this to happen. And with my son, it happened on the changing table that we were, you know, going through it and I was, you know, helping him. And then all of a sudden he sort of looked off and he was just doing something, thinking something. And I let it go on, you know, for a while because I didn't have to rush and be somewhere anyway. But I thought, oh my gosh. So we want to notice those so we can encourage them, right? It's so easy to squash it all and, and not let it happen. That's called collaboration. Yes. I'm doing something that needs to get done, but you're interested over there. So I'm going to stop for a minute and be interested with you. It's beautiful. Yes. It, you know, sometimes I'll do snack and you've done it a million times and everybody's looking at something else. And I don't say here, well, doesn't anybody want some? Oh, here I am with the banana, you know. I look at what they're looking at. We, we can all be so interested in it. It's such a beautiful moment that it doesn't need to be filled. Yes. And that is a collaboration. Right. And it's also noticing that play happens all the time, if we want to call that play. It's happening any time. It's true. Yeah. So I also wanted to share, um, this is another one of your posts on Instagram. You say, what do I mean? Don't introduce your child to boredom. This is what you're talking earlier about boredom, I guess. And these are the ideas that you shared. It's all about what we're talking about today. Let life unfold slowly and naturally. Don't think you have to entertain them. Do age-appropriate outings once in a while. There's no rush to show them all the things. Let them notice, and you can notice what they notice. Give them time to have their own thoughts. Give them plenty of time to putter around. And then you say, it's unnecessary to rotate toys. It's okay to bring a new one in here and there. 
It's more a matter of providing open-ended. There you go. That's great advice right there. Yeah, thanks. It sounded good how you read it. You read it so nicely. I'm like, I'm so intrigued. So, who is that genius? I know. Who wrote that? It's just so nice, you know? I want people to see how sweet this is and simple yes. it is. Yes, all this sort of simple wisdom that helps our children, helps us. And we didn't even, you know, we only did the tip of the iceberg in terms of all the benefits of this. So I really hope people will follow your Instagram page and your website, which is Harry's Rise Studio, H-A-R-I-S-R-I-E Studio, S-T-U-D-I-O dot com. And you can discover all the resources that Harry has to offer and kind of be eye-opened by her her just her perspective which is just very sharp and unique and I don't know I think it's a breath of fresh air personally and I love it so keep it up okay <laughs> thanks Janet <laughs> this was really fun this was really fun <laughs> yeah thank you so much thanks for asking me bye for more on play, there are a ton of resources on infant play and toddler play on my website, JanetLansbury.com. So please check those out under the topic category, play. Thanks so much for listening. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.